Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. This is the one Advent episode that you're going to get this Advent season. Uh, This is episode, what did we say, 66? And uh, we are going to be discussing today Jesus becoming man. So uh, just a little brief introduction on how, how how this is going to work. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote... A, a series of Advent devotionals um, that he published. It's called God in the Manger. I've been kind of working through that on the uh, the Facebook page uh, over the last couple of weeks, and he's got a couple of different the way that this is all this is structured. He has a couple of uh, I think it's forty days worth from uh, the beginning of Advent, actually actually all the way through Christmas, and highlighting different parts of the Christmas season. Um, this week, the third week in Advent, he highlights the Incarnation, which is why we picked that to talk about today. Um, but he gives a brief one-page reflection, and then the uh, the editor of the book uh, put took out some of his works or works that were written to him, um, and then with the, the text that kind of goes with it. So uh, the one that we picked for today to discuss regarding uh, the Incarnation uh, is called The One Who Became human. So kind of taking a, a break from kind of the, uh, we've, we've spent a lot in the political sphere a little bit. I'm surprised uh, actually after last week's episode that we didn't Might even be too much, but yes. Well, yes. I've been very, been very hot as of, as of late about those kinds of things. And um, I, I just think it's, this is a good, it's a good outlet for, for me and mm-hmm. praise God for the two of you to put up with uh, my antics and my frustrations and my let alone your wife, but okay. and let alone my wife. Yeah, so my wife, she uh, she echoes a lot of those uh, those feelings Frustrations, too. Yeah, yeah. So we all know that the incarnation of Christ looks like Jeffrey Hunter, six foot, five eleven and a half, white, blue eyes, slightly curly blonde hair, and handsome. Yes, Jesus was. That's how it's a dreamboat, yeah. as my mom would say. Yeah, perfect man, perfect body, perfect. Don't don't worry a bit about Isaiah fifty three, like the part where mm, nobody even nobody took notice of him. it. Yeah, yeah. But, There's, uh, there was no distinguishing features. Yeah. Well, actually, there were negative in Isaiah. There actually negative distinguishing features. Yeah, they wouldn't. He he just you blend. would turn your face from him. Yeah, rather than, and and he just blends in. There's nothing special yeah. about this yeah. man. That's not the Hollywood Jesus. Well, because that's not we've we've said this before. That's not sexy Jesus. Well, I never would say that. That's yeah. that's not. But Hollywood, I want lust in my heart over Jesus. Oh, I hope. Well, that. you you just said it. He's he's a dreamboat. He's yeah. he's handsome. He's got a great body. Because in Hollywood, this is how they get that's their people values. to come to the movies. Yeah, that's their values. But the question we're asking is first question is. Why would God come in human flesh? Right? Mm-hmm. Second question, if we can remember that far, can human flesh contain God? Yeah. Which we touched on a couple of weeks yeah. ago, briefly. But why would God come in human flesh other than to fulfill his word? Why was it necessary, young vicar, young Padawan? Why was it necessary for him to come in human flesh that can touch, you can touch, that can bleed, can, can be whipped, can be tired, can be thirsty? Why was that necessary? 
I'd say first and foremost it was necessary because um, God had to die and God um, apart from his human nature cannot die and so he needed to assume human nature in the person of Christ uh, in order to die for us and then also in addition to that uh, he needs to become one of us to save us he needs to face the same uh, trials and temptations that we face but unlike unlike us he lives a perfect human life uh, the life that we could not possibly live being being a Lutheran pastor and Tyler's a Lutheran pastor and you're a future Lutheran pastor I hope and hmm. I would say let's rethink that God had to die really there was no other way I'm looking for the word chose. God okay. chose, chose to, to die. die. It was not right. It was an obligation. It wasn't yes. something that was against his will. It was something in perfect alignment with his will. Right? Correct. What did I, that mean to be in the flesh, incarnate? Here in southwest Detroit, when we say incarnation, they have the uh, context of carne, which means flesh, meat, uh, which Tacos. most of us Anglos don't Nachos. have, right? So when we say incarnation, it makes it's a quicker link for them than for the rest of us. Uh, Incarnation's always been weird for me because uh, when I was growing up, my mom would, uh, instead of make us breakfast every morning, she would give us, um, not incarnation, but give us carnation instant breakfast. Ooh. Which was like the stuff that it was like Ovaltine. It's like it came in a powder that you oh, put I in know. your milk, and it had all of the supposedly had all of the the nutrient <laughs> the nutrients of a well balanced breakfast. And so when I when I started carnation I started, instant milk is better than real milk. Yeah, right. So whenever whenever I started when I started to to study more and learn about you know big words like incarnation, uh, that was I was like that's that's where I went. I went to me sitting. In at the coffee table in my parents' house, stirring a glass of chocolate carnation breakfast mix. But they sponsored Gracie Allen and George Burns. That they have <laughs> well, carnation has that. In there you go. Fair Perfect. Favorite. Showing my age, but why did he have to have flesh and blood again in order to in order to die for us? Which throws us into wow. How, about how can God? die right yeah how about this he has to have in order to, to spill his blood he has to have blood in order to give his body he has to have a body right in order for us to consume his body and his blood he has to become body and blood which is exactly what what he does and um we, we brought up the the point last year how, how is it possible and can uh can the the fullness of god dwell in the the infinite God dwell in a finite in a finite body I guess is the the word that we're looking for and the answer the answer is yes he can he can contain himself in if he chooses to yeah so that's one of those difficult things yeah Luther would say certainly all of God is in Christ but it's a difficult thing to say God can't. usually find that in Calvinism. God can't. can't yeah. uh, God can't be contained in human flesh, to which I would say, irreverently, says who? Right. 
says who? If God is omnipotent, why can't he do this? Um, so, so I have a question. Can God? I don't do that to me. He, can God create a rock too big for him to lift? He can create <laughs> a rod to discipline his children that <laughs> ask that question. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a question designed to actually refute the omnipotence of God. Correct. So it's <laughs> not. A, it is not at best a reverent question. Right? No, it's it's not. And you're right. The the correct answer is God can create rods to beat people who say who ask questions like that. Yeah. Because the uh, answer that they're going for when you that ask would be a, a Luther paraphrase. Yeah. yeah. The answer that they're going for is well, no, you, no, God. Of course, God can make a rock that He can't lift. Well, then God can't do something. Well, it's in the, but if he can't, then he can't do that. Yeah, right? It's in the flavor of other questions. Like, if God is omniscient, why did he create the world when he knew that it was going to end up like this? Yeah, yeah. right, I don't know, and you shouldn't ask. Well, lizards. yeah, why, why, why wouldn't God, why would God yeah, put Adam and Eve, knowing full well this was going to happen, knowing that he was going to have to give his son yeah, Jesus. Yeah, same question. Knowing that he was going to have to give himself, give himself to assume human flesh, to go to the cross, to go through all the things that he went through. If he knows all this is going to happen, and he can't not know these things, yeah. then... Was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world? Boy, is that a hard verse. Right. Before there was Before world, there was, right. Before there was sin, there is Christ slain. So, yeah, our, our irreverent but Lutheran answer is you should be chastised for asking Correct. this question. Correct. So uh, getting back to the, the reason for the the today's podcast, today's episode, yeah, as so. we're as we are in Advent and we are celebrating the the coming of Jesus as a as a child, mm-hmm. as one of us, assuming one of us becoming lowly like one of us, Dietrich. It's not in this. It's not in this uh, um, de- uh, devotion. But as I was pre- kind of preparing and looking forward to the Christmas Eve sermon, uh, I was looking back at some things that I had written before and one of the things that I remember we talked to this about talked about this last year uh, about Mary and God Dietrich writes something along the lines of God coming as a baby in the manger to someone like Mary is like that is the complete summation of the gospel as Jesus chooses to be associated with lowly people in lowly ways and I think that that's a huge part of the incarnation too it's not so much that he it's it's there's a lot to Jesus becoming incarnate, but it's also the circumstances around him that that add to that as well. So one way to think of this is people who are asking those questions and developing those arguments are coming from the position of Christ's exaltation mm-hmm. when in fact the story is the Christ of his humiliation. humiliation. story of his hum- humiliation. And the answers are found there, not in exaltation. So some heresies were, let's see if Nick can help us. One flavor of heresy was, well, he didn't really die. He appeared to die. Another flavor is, well, the man died, but God did not die. All right, okay, wow. Both of those leave us where? God didn't die. That's right. The, they both say that. And you're still in your sin. You're still in your yeah. sin. That point, you're still in your sins. So, uh, like a, paraphrasing Luther, if we cannot say that it is God himself who died on the cross, then 
we are still in our sins. Yeah. Um, because how could any particular, um, it's me, not Luther, how could any good man, no matter how good, offer his life and and cancel out the sins of, what are we at now, six billion people? Yeah. Plus four or five billion that have lived before us. How could 10 billion people's sins be canceled out by the life of one good man? Yeah. Makes no sense, right? right. But why, let's just ask this question then, but why in such a humiliating way was Christ born? Why wasn't he born at home? Why did he have to be, you know, let's just say from our context, homeless? Yeah. And I I think the answer to that is, is a lot simpler than what we try to make it. We try to find all the significance, and certainly there is one of my favorite connections um, that that I that I have made before that was brought to my attention um, last year in all of uh, all the studying that that we had the time <laughs> that we had the time to do because we were all at home and um, things kind of came to a halt. But in studying Luke and kind of studying this this text, uh, that uh, especially the, the Luke account, I guess when it says that Jesus is born in a manger and he's born in Bethlehem. He's the first and foremost. Bethlehem is where David is from. Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? House yeah, of bread. House of bread. So you have Jesus, the bread of life, coming from the house of bread, being born in a manger, which as the as the bread of life, he places himself where the animals, which can be related to. Uh, could be related to us where that's where they would eat and we are called to eat <laughs> eat the bread of life and if we eat the bread of life we live and you know so there's like little little symbols i think throughout all of that that you can some of them might be a little bit of a stretch but but certainly some some theological significance to those things but i think where you were what you're getting at uh, and why i think it's so simple jesus is born this way because he wants, he wants to be born. He wants to be born this way. He wants to be born this way so that we can't say that God doesn't know what it's like to X, Y, and Z. I was thinking like he came for the lowliest of us. He didn't just come yeah. for the, you know, the rich and powerful, but he came for everyone. And so he yeah. came like the lowliest would be born. Yeah. Well, in the first, in the first people to see him are the shepherds, and the shepherds were generally thought as unclean people, and yet they're the first people. Or maybe sometimes the lowest rank of clean people. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're not quite like tax collectors, but they're close. Yeah. You didn't want to get too close to a ship. I remember a professor. When your daughter brings your shepherd boyfriend home, (laughs) you say. You run. No. No. (laughs) Go ahead. I was going to say, I remember a professor at Concordia, Chicago said, imagine uh, you're Mary and the shepherds come and want to hold baby Jesus. Imagine what their hands would have looked like being a a shepherd for your profession yeah. and those are probably the first people besides Mary to hold well I think Christ. and I think I think there's a direct correlation to that with uh, with the Lord's Supper especially here um, because you know being being the person one of the three people who have you know given communion here you've seen the hands pastor that have yeah. that have reached out and, and it makes touched. you want to put it in their mouth directly yeah actually. you've seen seen the hands that reach out and they're and they're so, hold, yeah, to like, hold Jesus like Logan who asked us Logan is I guess pre-sem, right? Yeah, he's going to he's going to the seminary next year. He asked, well, "Why are you dipping it and giving it to them?" And yeah, the answer is 
Have you seen their hands? <laughs> it's just okay. But Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Come on, Nick, dig, dig deep. Passover, Passover. Mm -hmm. I'm hitting, hitting, hitting. Oh, Where I know do this the one? Passover lambs come from? Passover. What? Passover lambs always came from Bethlehem. That's okay. They, that, that was their principal business yeah. to raise off lamb offerings for the temple. So it's fitting that Jesus was born where the Passover. Yeah. Lambs that's why that, I mean we made this connection on Palm Sunday um, when Jesus it adds to the Jesus is coming in on you know as as the lamb the Passover lamb from Bethlehem but he's also coming in on the day that the Passover lamb would have been shown for everybody was it the 10th day of the month yeah I think is what it is but yeah well, there's all kinds of he dies at three o'clock which was the last hour in which the Passover lamb could be sacrificed in the temple. Yeah. Like like I said, it's when you start to really dive into the incarnation, you dive into the sacrifice, you dive into what all of this eventually means, uh, you could spend hours, days, months, years. I mean, there's a reason why they've got Hebrew scholars and Old Testament scholars and these guys that, that do this all day, every day, and still are... Uh, I think there was a an old I don't know where I forgot where I heard this from, but think of like the the Bible kind of like a treasure box, and every time that you pour it out, you hit it a couple more times, and more jewels fall out, kind of a thing, and it never runs out of jewels. And um, that's the classic definition of a cornucopia, the horn of plenty. No matter how much you pour this out, more and more stuff come out, more fruit, more whatever. So, so let's talk about a 18-year-old girl. Well, I was going to read this first. <laughs> the yeah, read okay. the devotion. Go ahead. So, like well, I said, that's where we're going. We're going we're, we're going we'll get to the 18-year-old girl, I promise. This is going to be positive, people. So, uh the devotion, just want to read this because it'll help us to take off for the the rest of of what we want to talk about today. So, the the Dietrich's reflection of the text, which is Luke 2 chapter 1 or sorry, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 which is, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered, leading up to Mary giving birth to her firstborn son, wrapping him uh, in clothes, swaddling clothes, and lying him in a manger because there's no place for him in the inn. So Dietrich has this to say about God becoming human. He says this. He says, Who is this God? This God is the one whom became human, who became human as we became human. He is completely human. Therefore, nothing human is foreign to him. The human being that I am, Jesus Christ, was also. About this human being, Jesus Christ, we say, this one is God. This does not mean that we already know beforehand who God is, nor does it mean that the, sta mean that the statement, this human being is God, adds anything to being human. God and human are being, God, sorry, God and human being are not thought of as belonging together through a concept of nature. The statement, this human being is God, is meant entirely differently. The divinity of this human being is not something additional to the human nature of Jesus Christ. The statement, this human being is God, is the vertical from above. The statement that applies to Jesus Christ, the human being, which neither adds anything nor takes anything away, but qualifies the whole human being as God. Faith is ignited from Jesus Christ, the human being. If Jesus Christ is to be described as God, then we do not speak of his omnipotence and omniscience, but of his cradle and his cross. 
there is no divine being as omnipotence, as omnipresence. So he writes this, and then in this devotion, he adds, the, the editor adds an excerpt from a letter from Maria von Wiedemeyer to Dietrich while Dietrich is in prison. So she writes this. I'm not going to try to say the German. If you want to try to say the German, you are welcome to say the German. She sa- she writes this to Dietrich. And now Christmas is coming, and you won't be here. We shall be apart, yes, but very close together. My thoughts will come to you and accompany you. We shall sing peace on earth and pray together, but we shall sing glory be to God on high even louder. That is what I pray for you and for all of us, that the Savior may throw open the gates of heaven for us at darkest night on Christmas Eve, so that we can joyfully, in spite of be joyful in spite of everything. That was December 10th, 1943. Uh, this was about a year and a half before Dietrich was hung for uh, his faith. It seems weird to think, but he's in a privileged prison. Think of some of the high highfalutin people that end up in prison in America that end up in prisons that are basically like resorts but he's not in a resort prison but he's in a prison where they have respect for his heritage and his reputation and uh, he's not an aristocrat but he's from a family that's treated at that level Mm -hmm. Um, so he has privileges including getting letters from his fiance. Yeah. That'd be like boys hooking up boys. Like, right. hey, we, we know you, Dietrich. Uh, we know you really don't deserve to be here, so we're yeah. going to make sure that you're right. okay. Or or maybe it's a slight flavor on that. Maybe you're in here and you deserve to be in here, but we don't want to do anything to make your privileged family mad at us. Yeah. So, yeah, you want some paper to write on? I'll get it for yeah, you. I'll get it for you. I'll do favors for you. So. That's why he's getting these letters at this point. Um, yeah, so who is she again? Let's go back. He Mar- first met her at? Maria von Wiedemeyer. She was was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's um, fiancée. And sometimes I think that this gets a, gets a bad rep simply because she's young. She, we were talking about this on the way on the way down here to, yeah. to church. Young She's as in half his age. Half yeah. his age. So Dietrich was uh, 30, well, when they met, I think, or when they, yeah. Because Dietrich, how old Dietrich was? 37 when he died. Is that accurate? I don't remember exactly offhand. I know he died in April of 1945. Oh, we'll just say 37. I don't, to, but I don't want to do the, do the math. But, um, but that she, at point, she's probably 18 or 19. Yes. So... so. Um, she and this is before they invented trophy wives, right? <laughs> yeah, so they met. They met in a in an urban home of um, uh, this woman's grand grandmother, and when they met, uh, Maria was eleven years old. Which it, this is really weird. Um, so Dietrich met her when she was eleven because Dietrich was teaching, um, catechism. he teaching catechism right to to her older brother. And uh, she really wanted to be in the class. He said, okay, but then eventually asked her to leave <laughs> because she was uh, immature, he said. So yeah. roughly like seven years later, some, six or seven years later, um, they were at some kind of retreat. And uh, despite the fact that she, you know, she was 18 and he was 36, they, they developed mm. a, a relationship and became engaged in January of 1943. So... 
Yeah. And then it was, it was what, three months, three months after that, that Dietrich was arrested yeah. for, well, for gets, speaking out? To, he heads to uh, bigger and better prisons, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but to his credit, for what it's worth, that kind of resonated. That was the one love of his life. Yeah. We have no record of any other person that he was emotionally um, attached to. Yeah. So... Yeah, he wasn't. I was as I'm as I'm kind of looking at my computer here. Uh, he wasn't actually transferred to a Gestapo high security prison until four, uh, January. Or I'm sorry, July of 1944. After the failed attempt. So, at yeah. So this was after Hitler's the, assassination. Yeah, the failed, yes. Yeah. So yeah. So he's still living living okay and yeah. corresponding. And then um, yeah. after that happened, he was on a fast track to uh, to death. So. But well, anyway, so actually, she, it was it was actually yeah. I heard you say fast track. He was actually at the point where he could have easily been forgotten. Yeah. Except Hitler went back and kind of like, okay, there's anybody else need to kill. Uh, let's do a big cleanup else? action. If I missed anybody, yeah. and then he showed up. But yeah. he actually didn't rise to the point of uh, on the frontal lobe of Hitler. I got to kill this guy. It was like. You know, let's clean the books up. Oh, wow, he's still alive. Let's kill him. Yeah. So she writes this letter, and I, I know that you had said, you know, keeping keeping with the the idea of, uh, I, I love I love what Dietrich says that faith is ignited from Jesus Christ, the human being. Like the the fact that that Jesus is fully man, fully God, uh, is I, I mean, Christianity hinges on that. If I mean even more so, dare I say? I mean we, the cross alone is our theology. The and we we believe in what the resurrection gives to us. Uh, you know certainly we hold fast to all kinds of different things. But if if we if Jesus is not God, not fully God and not fully man, then the that if he didn't actually actually physically die on correct. the cross, then none of those things mean anything. They it gives a it gives a completely different view of the crucifixion and the resurrection so when he says that faith is ignited he might as well say it's hinged if jesus isn't god and he's not fully man he's not fully man not fully god not compartmentalized if he's not both of these things at the same time then none of this none of this stuff other none of this other stuff matters but what is he we are still in our sins yeah right with what luther says right and so when he said when she writes that is what I pray for you and all of us that the Savior may throw open the gates of heaven for us at darkest night on Christmas Eve. So what what is she writing to when she mean like when she says that to him? Whoa! Well, 1943 was the 42 was the beginning of the end, but by 43. It was pretty clear in Germany this was not going to go well. This is it's just a question of how fast the disaster will fall upon us. The glory days were over. The We swept through Europe and did this, this, and this, all gone. And now, really, ever since uh, his failure before Moscow in the invasion of Russia, everything cascaded negatively for him from that point on. And the hero worship, the... The, the whole concept of the Volk and the fatherland and our inevitable future turned into quicksand. And so 
I'm thinking she felt a little more than a little bit of that. And then on a personal level, nobody seemed to get him out, be able to get him out of prison. There's no help. Yet. All that influence that his family had, and yet there he was. Uh, of course, that's where God wanted him. That's kind of sad. I'm sure it didn't. He didn't want to be there, but I'm pretty sure God needed him to be there. Yeah, he didn't want. He didn't want to be there, but I think he was willing to be there. It's very evident. In nobody, obedience. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody leaves from America to go back to Germany in the height of all this stuff. Nobody leaves London and then comes back, and with expecting that you're just going to get away with yeah, all so of it. Again, paraphrasing him. I have no part in the future of the Christian church in Germany unless I have a part in the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he went back to suffer. I don't think he had any idea what that suffering would mean, but he nevertheless signed up for it. Yeah, but I I really, I mean, thinking about that stuff, thinking about, um, you know, what she says, which I think is it, you know, we were talking about this because your your message this morning or this afternoon, Nick. You know, despite, 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 and what he says here, what she writes here, we can be enjoy, we can be joyful in spite of everything. So all of this is happening in the background for Maria. Yet she writes to Dietrich, "I know you're in prison, and and I look forward. You know that we're gonna we're gonna sing these hymns." We're like we might not be together physically, but I know that w- like when we sing this, you're going to be singing this as well. You're going to be praying as well to the same God, and 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 in that sense, because we know that God has made a way for us on Christmas Eve. God has made a way for us to be with Him, or the beginning of this plan to come into fruition. Right? We can be joyful in spite of everything, and. I think that has a real direct, you know, direct correlation to us today with the way that things are. Yeah, we have struggle, a lot of despites. Struggle, we? yeah, struggling, uh, you know, we, with our with our folks down here and the various issues that uh, that they have. Uh, whether that's you know the the many folks in our congregation that have cancer or Christmas Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas time. All right, brace yourself. I'm going to do a memory test. What are our principles? Which it is love the unlovable, forgive the unforgivable, and serve the ungrateful. So what do they have in context with the word despite? It would be um, loving people despite who they are, how much you like them, how they treat you, how they respond to this love. Uh, forgiving people despite what they may have done in the past or will do, the will do in the future. Yeah either to you or in general, and then serving people despite how, um, basically how they respond to you, or how ungrateful they may be, and how entitled they may feel, uh, you still serve them despite these things. Well, that, that wasn't quite where I was going yet, but I was going to say the, the joyfulness. I mean, we can be joyful, certainly, with, you know, with the, the suffering and the persecution that, that happens to us, I mean the, you know the, the things that that Pastor Hill has to deal with on a regular basis with certain people that just can't can't not talk to him when he's not here or when he's here. Uh, same thing with me. There's a there's people that they will only talk to me, um, you know, and things like that. And I, it drives me nuts. You know, we in, on an individual basis can be joyful in spite of those, 
But I think what I what I was really hoping to to get at was, and this is where I think that you can start to think of this too. Uh, we can be joyful in the sense that even though we are going through, you know, a loss of a job, or we're going through, you know, a lack of, you know, like, for instance, one of our one of our gals is is having her car towed away, like, and she's losing her wheels, Um, homelessness, um, not not being able to to be with your families, not being able to, to see your your kids when or your grandkids, when your kids said, this is the year that I'm going to be able to this is, these are realities for all of our people, yet on Christmas Eve, they're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. They're going to sing, Angels We Have Heard on High. They're going to sing, What Child Is This? This this is Christ the King. And joy to the world to close. In spite of all of these things, in spite of all of these uh, travesties that are happening in their lives, they can still be joyful just as we can still be joyful and we can still serve and we can still love and we can still forgive in spite of the actions of the world around us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try this just to see what Nick will do. The world cries out despair. Right? What do we have to despair of? Lots of stuff, right? And, on a worldly level. And I think God's word says despite. So Dis- go with that. Despite all this. Circumstances. R- despite all the despair in this world and all the horrible things that we have to go through or are going through, uh, we still have Christ who became man, who died for us rose for us and we will live with him for all eternity despite how things are right now despite all outward circumstances we are victors even though it feels like we're being pounded into the ground yeah despite the appearance of reality we we put our trust in Christ who doesn't say to us despair but instead he says what believe follow so here's a thought for you Nick why was it necessary for us to know about the Annunciation the trip to Bethlehem the birth of Christ in the manger the Herod killing the babies the flight to Egypt all of that stuff why did God choose to make that known to us you forgot epiphany What? yeah why didn't we just go to Here's Jesus, 30 years old. He appears at the Jordan and like oh, Mark. like Mark, like Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's leap forward and say, baptize me. Yeah. And why do we? Why did God give us all that? That's one of my mo- that's one of my mo- my one of my pet peeves about. My, I love Mark, but I, that's one of my pet peeves. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, Mark goes fast. I'm like, yeah, he skipped 30 years of Jesus' life. Yeah. But anyway, what benefit is it for us to know these things? How about that for a I guess uh, you look at the life of Christ and um, there's a lot that you could despair about like things don't go smoothly for him it's um, it's still the he, he's in the, the same sinful world that we are in and he has to deal with all of this stuff even though he is without sin he still has to deal with uh, the sinful world. It's not like he gets some special treatment where he lives the high life until he's 30 and goes into the ministry. He still has to deal with uh, the same world we deal with. 
Okay. So what difference does it make whether there were one, two, well, obviously plural, two, three, four, or five magi? <laughs> Doesn't make it. Great I, question. I <laughs> and their names. And their names, yeah. I think in part we need to know that this is part of the narrative saying this guy is just like us. He endures the kind of things. He's speaking to the peasants. Yeah, he's going through and came from where we came from. He's not some, sorry, elitist who erupted suddenly at the temple and with all his credentials hanging off of him and saying, I'm the Messiah, but the Gospels allow us to uh, understand that he, not just at 33, but at, you know, at the beginning he suffered and was persecuted and, uh, and lived the life of the, uh, those who were common, I guess, politest word. Um, and that speaks to people who are uh, following similar paths. Is he the only baby that was ever born in a manger? Probably not, no. No. Is he the only baby that uh, fled to Egypt? I don't know. Maybe. Well, probably not, though. Yeah, because there are lots of folks who are afraid of Herod. Um, but the whole flight to Egypt thing, too, is to undo the the Israelites going to Egypt and then coming back. Yeah, but it's okay. It also demonstrates that the man's power personified in Herod is powerless against the power of God. Sure. Those things have purpose, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I have a point that I wanted to make as we're looking at the, actually at the devotional reading for this topic. He says, if Jesus Christ is to be described as God, then we do not speak of his omnipotence and omniscience, but of his cradle and his cross. And I think that that's, what, what two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about, um, you know, if you want to see the, the, what do you say, if you want to see the, the fullness of God, you look to Christ on the cross. And God certainly reveals himself in other ways, a number of different ways. But you can't know God apart from Christ. And you that, can't. Yeah, that would be pure Bonhoeffer and Luther. You cannot know God. Christ apart yeah. from Christ crucified. Right. So you get that you get that sense here, which is also part of why he's becoming human and an essential part of the incarnation because God wants so desperately for mankind to understand him and to comprehend not fully comprehend, but to comprehend who he is and, and to believe in him and to be rescued that he's willing to become you so that you cannot just see that he is omnipotent or I keep I'll keep when I say omnipotent omnipotent or omniscient it's so much more than that yeah we know that God knows everything we know that God is everywhere but if you understand that but you don't have not revealed have had the the Christ revealed to you the, the 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 birth the death and the resurrection of Jesus then like you said what we were talking about last or whatever we're talking about with Romans 1 then that's not saving faith. Revealed knowledge of God is not saving faith unless it's revealed to you in Christ. Yeah, that would be also pure Bonhoeffer, I think, my opinion, that you can't know a Christ apart from his weakness. Yeah. Any other attempt to know him through power or um, his ex exaltation will fail. 
but he chose to re- God the Father chose to reveal himself through Christ in weakness mm-hmm. and to seek him any other way is well sinful I guess is what I would yeah. say but yeah so that's a tough one right he reveals himself in weakness when, when in fact we want to see him in power his glory right yeah. his power um, and he says wait a minute here I am like you said a minute ago I'm the one in the manger I'm the one on the cross I'm the one lying in the tomb. Um, Stop looking for someone else, John. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right here, John. Keep on looking, but you're not going to find me because this is how I chose to reveal myself. And so, yeah. And all of that is incarnation bound. I think. Yeah. Um, I just think I just think that when Jesus choosing or God choosing, well, yes, and Jesus choosing to come to us at Bethlehem in a manger surrounded by the smells of a manger there is for the one who is who has the utmost royalty he chooses to do everything that's not royal and I think that that kind of a God puts a lot of people off and but at the same time it's a God that people want to embrace We've talked about this. I know I've talked about this. People are very quick to embrace baby Jesus. But they're very also very quick to reject the bloody, crucified, dead Jesus. Oh yeah, baby Jesus is safe. Right. He's cute. He's got he's got cheeks to pinch and all that all that uh and he probably smells good. He probably smells good. Not the uh not the surrounding, but I don't know. I, again, um, this, this the manger is a good place to start that. But actually, his I would say his first revelation was in in the womb of a to the culture an obviously promiscuous woman, um, and all the shame attached to that. I mean, every heartbeat that he had in the womb would have been one. A society would have would would have, would have rejected or mm-hmm. or scorned. So how can how can the Messiah come out of that mixture? Yeah. Uh, but he did. Yes, he did. So what do we do with the incarnation? And we have this right in front of our faces. Um, do we bypass that and leap to the cross, or do we see it as? one piece of the same cloth so to speak is it of one thing that he is both uh, incarnate and crucified died and buried i think it's crucial that we recognize the incarnation because we're recognizing god becoming flesh which eventually leads to the cross but it has to start somewhere and this is where it starts this is where his suffering starts like you said his rejection starts Yeah. yeah The rejection starts right away, clearly, because Herod's like, no, get this baby out of here. Mm, or the innkeeper saying, ah. Yeah, yeah, we got no room here. He had a, but he did have a stable home. Oh, I have to I have, I to, have to tell that story. So we did a play on Monday, and the, Joseph asked the innkeeper for a place. No, you can't. Have, then my wife's pregnant. Um, I don't really care, but she's burying the Messiah. And then the innkeeper says... 
Oh, there's a manger over there. The Messiah deserves a stable home. <laughs> yes, one of your better dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't write that one. I well, actually was surprised by it on Monday when it. It's been a while since we've done that play, yeah, but yeah, funny regardless. But but it's not. I'm I'm trying to say that it's not incarnation, one piece, and then all the other things, separate events. But in fact, it's one. Like I said, one piece of cloth, one nothing that happens between Easter and um, actually the Annunciation is explainable apart from all the other things. So it's all of a piece. Yeah, they're all they all work together. They're all pieces of the same puzzle. And, and you pull and they, one out, then the others don't make yeah, sense. They they, fall, they kind of fall apart, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think as as we're getting ready to to close out. Uh, the episode I, I think it's just really important for us to, to again just to remember that ultimately like yeah we, we can talk about the different parts of the incarnation we can talk about the symbolism we can talk about the old testament fulfillment we can talk about uh all all the things that we just talked about till we're blue in the face but ultimately i think what it comes down to at least for me and i think hopefully for us because christmas time is a time of hope even if you're, I was just talking with, uh, was it with you or was I talking? Might have been. I don't know if it was with either one of you two, but it was with somebody. And we were talking about how even even people who don't celebrate Christmas as Christians have hope around Christmas time. It's the time of year when people gather together to help and to support one another. Um, we, we we saw this right with the diff- with a variety of different tragedies that have happened in the last in the last couple of weeks, whether it's the Oxford shooting or the devastating tornadoes rolling through the Midwest and, and lives being taken. And you've seen these communities rally around together, you know, especially, you, know, you gotta wonder what would happen if this wasn't around Christmas time, unfortunately, but you know, Christmas time just puts that spirit of hope, that spirit of joy, that spirit of, of community together. But for the Christian too, outside or you bring that into you know an eternal you know you put eternal uh, ramifications on that hope is born on this on this night i mean this is the this is jesus becoming one of us choosing to associate with us in the lowliest of low ways in order to redeem us that plan is set into it's like god's been god has made this plan and if you think of kind of uh what are those things um, oh, I forgot what they're called. Rube Goldberg's. Is that right? Rube Goldberg machines. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, machines with marbles and spinning things. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is like, see, a lot of times they start with like a, like a single domino, and the dominoes will push the ball, and the ball will push, go into the cup, which Before will be Before you know the it, they're making your coffee for it. Right, yeah. right, right. So this is like the domino. This is the first domino is the, when Jesus comes as a child. It gets the domino rolling, and then all these other things happen, and and then it all culminates with him dying and rising, and it's all done for you. Yeah. This is God's plan of redemption being brought into play here, and it's remarkable. And there is hope in that. There is joy in that. There is, no matter what circumstances that we are facing, that you are facing as the listener, you may be driving in your car right now to a job that you hate, where people treat you like crap. But you can be joyful in spite of that. I'd also encourage you to leave that job. But you can be joyful in spite of that because of what Christ has done for you. 
So magic word again for Nick, despite. Despite. Despite circumstances, despite the world, despite everything, we get to say, we usually say Christ is risen, but this Christ, time, well, now Christ we'll is say born. Christ is born, yeah. right? He is born indeed. Hallelujah. Yeah. But yes, and I think that that's, uh, that's, a good, that's a good place for us to conclude. Next week we will uh, talk a little bit more about the, well, I don't know if we'll have it next week. We'll see. It kind of depends. Next week's Christmas, so we'll kind of see what happens. But there's no reason for us not to, I don't think. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. No unselfish reason that I can think of. No. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think if people are people are going to be. I know that on Christmas Eve I'm not going to be uh, <laughs> thumbing through my regular podcasts well, on Christmas okay. Eve we, to listen to them. We might so do it a day early. Maybe it goes out a day early or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, we'll have to we we'll have to wait and see on that. But until then, uh, friends, remember how much that you are loved. Remember that it is Jesus becoming one of you. That's what the incarnation is. He becomes us. He be- takes on our flesh, so that ultimately he can give that flesh and spill that blood, so that we would have eternity with him. So go with his peace this week and always. If no one has told you yet, God loves you, and so do we. Make sure that you head over to uh, the website and check out all the good stuff. That's happening over there, www.fogdetroit.com. Have a great rest of the Advent. We'll talk with you all 